thank you for coming to the Recovery House of Worship. Thank you for bringing the church into this building. So grateful that you're here. Glad that you made it. It's a slippery, wet uh, uh, day out there. So I'm glad that you made it here, and I'm glad that you made it here safe. You know, when I was young, I got into the bad habit of not going to school when I was supposed to go to school. And they had this thing called a truant officer. It was an officer of truants, of which I was one. And so uh, I hadn't been to school in something like 60 days. That's a lot. That's not two months. You know, you think, oh, 60 days is two months. No, there's no weekends involved in that. And so you have to take those out. So it's like almost three months that I hadn't been to school. It was crazy. And so I, um, my, uh, the letter, the little card that says, hey, your child has not been to school for, you know, for a real long time, it made it to my house. And so now the disciplinarian in my house, my father wasn't there. It was my brother. My brother, my older brother was a disciplinarian. And so I, as I was walking up the stairs from my full day of school, um, I, uh, I was walking upstairs, and I could hear him screaming, telling my mother all the things that he was going to do to me. Uh, and my mother was trying to calm him down, and she was having no luck. And so uh, I heard what he was going to do to me, and I did what every young, red-blooded American boy would do. I turned around, walked downstairs, walked to my best friend's house, and said, yo, let's move to California. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and I was very serious. I was only 13, but I was super serious. And so, uh, so you know, he talked me off the ledge, and I obviously didn't go to California. Um, but after a few hours, I had to face the music, so I went back to my house. And it was a few hours later, and I got upstairs, and what I found was that my brother had calmed down. And he pulled me on the side, and he said, Edwin, you're so smart. You're better than this. And for about an hour or two, he talked to me about what he thought about me and how he believed in me and how that I, I could do great things if I applied myself this much. And it was such an inspiring talk that I went to school with a determination to make him proud, with a fixed idea in my mind that I was going to succeed at this school thing. I went with a focus that I was going to be a great student. And it lasted for two weeks. <laughs> now, I wonder if anyone here has ever made a determination to change their actions that only lasted two weeks or less. Anybody? Can I get hands? Yeah, yeah. I'm not alone, right? Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because I discovered a principle. I discovered a principle that we're going to learn today. I discovered that if you try to change your actions but don't change your thinking, you go back to those actions you were trying to change. It's inevitable. It's like, um, it's like a rubber band pulling on you. And the farther you go, the greater the tension. 
and you pull on the rubber band and the greater the tension, you only can go so far before you're pulled back to where you were. See, we're in a new series on change because it's a brand new year and we're talking New Year's resolutions and everybody's thinking about how they can be better, do better. And, and so the name of the series is called How's About Jesus for a Change? Because when we do change, that is when you and I do change, it doesn't last very long. We wind up doing the same things over and over again. We're good for a few weeks. We're good for a few days. We're good for... It's, it's, it's when the, the wife comes to our husband and says, you know, you're speaking harsh to me. Not that you're like cursing me out or, you know, uh, you're speaking harsh to me. And the husband goes, oh, this is terrible. I want to do better. I'm going to speak more loving to you. And then he does that for about four days, if we get that enough, right? If we get four days. And, and then he reverts back to that. It's, it's the person who says, you know what? This is my last bad meal. You know, like bad for me meal, you know, like, you know, with all the grease and all the sweets and all that stuff. And, and, and you say, I'm going to eat healthy. And you go out and you throw out everything that's in your refrigerator that's bad, which is to say you throw out everything in your refrigerator. And then you, you purchase vegetables and fruits and things like that. You put it in your refrigerator. And then a week or two later, you're back to the bad way of eating. It happens when we decide that we're going to stop using a substance. We're no longer going to drink anymore. And then three days later, we can't help ourselves. We're back to that drinking. The reason that that happens is because the way you and I view change is not helpful. The way you and I view change doesn't work. In fact, we said this last week, that our view of change has to change. That our view of the process of change has to change. It has to be revolutionized. It has to be flipped on its head. Because here's our view of change. Our view of change is act differently and then you'll be changed on the inside. But how many know that you can act differently and yet not be changed on the inside? And so we're looking at our text, and the text we're going to be looking at, we looked at last week, we're going to look at this week, we're going to look at next week as well. We're going to be taking some weeks because the text is so thick with how God wants us to change. Now, here's the deal. What I'm about to share with you is not super sexy. It's not like, oh my gosh, that was, you know, nobody's going to be tweeting everything I say about uh, this next sermon. But here's what I know. Every one of you, every one of us, have things about us that we wish we could change. And those of us who have been beaten enough, we stop trying to change. And we wind up making excuses for why we're stuck in a rut. And those of us who keep on trying to change in the way that we used to change only find depression and disappointment and discouragement. Well, the change that we're going to talk about is not like that. Because the change that we think has to be shocking and sudden. Isn't it? Listen, I, I, I've, I've been in the community of faith that is the church of, of Christ. I've been in that community for a long time, right? 
here's what I know. Everybody loves the shocking turnaround. Everybody loves it. Like, everybody loves the testimony that goes, you know, I was, um, uh, I was uh, smoking crack and stealing cars and involved in witchcraft and tried a, a presidential assassination before I was 13 years old, and it only got worse, and, right? And so, you know, right, like, so it go, like that, that's a testimony. But then Jesus touched my heart, and it's like, I've, I've, I've put away my guns. I'm no longer in witchcraft. I, so I stopped smoking crack, and, and, you know, and I got married, and everything is great. And, and here's the deal. Here's the deal. Everybody loves that. Everybody looks for that. Let me tell you, that is the exception. That is not the rule. The thing about Christian change is that it's, and this is going to be shocking to some of you. Some of you think that change can't happen unless it happens the way I just told you. Jesus zaps you. Jesus shocks you. Jesus, trans, which can totally happen. I'm just telling you, it's the exception to the rule. I, uh, okay, I'll give you an example. Um, uh, Claudio, who I love, some of you uh, know, he's one of my closest friends. Love him with all my heart. He moved to South Carolina just uh, less than, it's about a year ago now, um, and him and his family to do ministry in South Carolina. So we're praying for him. We love him to death. But here's the thing. When I stopped smoking cigarettes, I had flu-like symptoms, was sick for months. My bones ached. I started to cough up nasty stuff. Has anybody ever stopped smoking cigarettes? It was awful. Oh, I wanted to die. You know what happened with Claudio? He went to a prayer meeting, kneeled down, a couple of people put their hands on him, and he never touched a cigarette or wanted a cigarette ever again in his life. Amazing. Now watch this. Now here's the deal. I don't smoke anymore. Mostly. No, I'm kidding. I really don't smoke. Um, I don't. I don't. But here's what I know. Everybody loves that story. Everybody loves, oh, power of God. Sap. Not always. I've seen more evidence of the power of God through those who are kicking and screaming and all oh, my bones ache. And, and those who have gone through that, they have a gift to give the rest of the body of Christ. So when we think of change, you have to, our, our view of change has to change. You have to stop thinking, oh, well, I'm going to stop lusting. Boom, look. I never looked at a, another site again. I never looked at another woman again like that. I never looked at another guy like that. I never, I never acted that way. I never pursued another relationship like that. Look, it's a miracle. Or, or I, I didn't steal again. Or I didn't drink again. Or I didn't. Listen, change is gradual. Somebody say change is gradual. Change in Christ is gradual. Bit by bit, slowly. If it's going to be real change, Christ-centered change, it's going to be gradual. But it's also, listen, it's also inevitable. Somebody say inevitable. inevitable. It's not only gradual, it's inevitable. What I mean by that is that it's slow. The kind of slow that, well, I have children. Have you, have you ever uh, noticed this about children? I have five children myself. And if you said, I get this all the time oh my gosh, your daughters have really grown. I don't see it. I'm with them every day. It's gradual. Now, I never went to my daughters and said, you better change, you better, you better grow up, you better get bigger, you better get stronger, you better get... I never did that. It was 
a natural thing that happened within the environment while they, while they stayed in the, in the house of their father. They naturally grew. That's the way it is with the Christian. As they stay in the presence of the Father, change occurs. But it's gradual. It's slow. You don't notice it. In fact, it isn't until a year or two later when someone goes, you know, you've really changed about this situation. You look, oh my goodness, yeah, you're right. I really did. Because it's gradual. But it's also inevitable. Do you know what I mean when I say inevitable? It means it can't be stopped. So if change never happens, question whether you're in Christ or not. It's inevitable. It has to happen. And so it's gradual and it's inevitable. So it's something that's going to stir up from within. But it's something that God does on the inside. And I know that some of you don't want to hear that because you have marriages that are like horrible. And you want Jesus to change it. Zap. No. And some of you, you have, listen, you have bad habits that are hurting you now. Your bad habits were hurting everybody around you for years, but now you feel it. Now you feel like they're hurting you, and you want Jesus to change them immediately. Listen to me. We have to change the way we think of change. It's not instant. It's eternal. It's gradual. It's inevitable. Change is different than what you think. So as we look to this and we go, God, we want this change. We want to see this change. Here's what God wants us to learn about change. It's in our big idea for today. God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. We think, I got to change my actions, then I'll change. That's not true. God's got to do a work on the soul, on the inside, in our minds. God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. Now, I I carefully worded this because I wanted you to see something really important. God must change our affections, the things that we love, before he can permanently change our actions. Now, you, you and I can change our actions for a little bit. In fact, in 12-step programs, they have uh, suggestions to help in this period. They say things like this, don't leave until the miracle happens. And what they mean is, is that you, if you stop drinking, let's say, and you say, oh, I'm not going to drink anymore. Well, the first few weeks, first few months, maybe the first few, it's like an intense desire to drink, right? And then one day, oh my gosh, I don't feel this intense desire to drink because something changed in their thinking. God must change our affections, our desires. He must change that before he can permanently change our actions. Now, we're going to look at the same text that we looked at last week, except we looked at verses 17 through 19 last week. This week, we're going to look at one verse. We're going to focus in on one verse, even though we'll read the whole thing. It's verse 23. But I want you to, it's one of our traditions. We stand at the reading of God's word. And the reason that we stand 
It's because we want to remind ourselves that God's word is better than our affections, uh, rather, better than our opinions, better than our um, thoughts and ideas. So we're going to read this together. Now listen, we're going to read this loudly, with great passion, think thoughtfully, think through what you're reading. We'll read this together on a count of three. You ready? One, two, three. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. In the futility of their thinking, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of all. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over so as to indulge in every kind of That, however, is not the way of life. You were taught with regard to your former way of To be made new in the attitude of your mind and to be. This is God's word. Please have a seat. Last week, if, if you weren't here last week, very briefly, in fact, I can't, we don't have time to really do uh, an overview. We have three different ways. You can go on the website. Uh, you can go on the podcast. Uh, website is rhowbk.org. The podcast is Recovery House of Worship Brooklyn. Um, if, you're, if you still like to feel what you have, like you don't want your stuff in the air, um, we have CDs that we uh, have for you in the back. Um, you could listen to last week's message. I encourage you um, to do that. But... Last week, we looked at verses 17 through 19. And if you don't know Jesus, that's where you're stuck. Verses 17 through 19 basically says, Paul is telling the Christians, I don't want you to live like those who don't know Jesus. In other words, I don't want you to say that you're a Christian, but live, practically speaking, like atheists. I don't want you to be like that. I don't want you to stiff arm God. I don't want you to close your ear to God. Because after you close your ear to God, after a while, you stop hearing him. Now, I want you to notice that I didn't say he stops speaking. You stop hearing him. And many of us, many of us have a lot of experience with having stiff armed God so many times that our conscience is scarred by it. Like, you know, when we first did something bad, it was like, oh, what's going to happen? Oh, no, it's the worst thing. We get all anxious and nervous and all that other stuff the first time. The, the, when we do it for the 37th time, it doesn't, even, it doesn't even make a blip on our mind because you've deadened your heart. So verses 17 through 19 is warning about the dangers of stiff-arming, of saying no to God over and over and over again. 
And Paul, in verse 20, says something very important. He says this, that, however, is not the way of life you learned. Paul goes to them and he says, listen, stiff-arming God, acting like God, what God says is not important, is not what you were taught. And I dare say to our congregation, what Paul said to his congregation, is that not so with you. I know that many of us who are here, whenever we mess up or when we go into a wrong direction, we say, here's the excuse that helps us to keep up, to, to stay in our mess. We say this. We say, but that's all I know. Nah, if you've been coming around for a while, that's not all you know. That might be all you want, but that's not all you know. You've been taught differently. Not so with you. But you go, oh man, this is the way I grew up. I know, I know, but you're growing up now too and in a different way and it's not all you know. You were taught in a different way. That, however, is not the way of life you learned. Not here. Not being exposed regularly to God's word. Not hearing the spirit of God speak to your heart. Some of you just recently had your heart awakened by Christ. You went, you, you went from death to life just recently. And you can hear his voice and hear him guiding you. It's not so with you. Verse 21 says, when you heard about Christ and, uh, and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You see, there's a truth really will set you free. Set you free from your fears. Set you free from your insecurities. Set you free from your harmful habits. Set you free from the negative self-talk. There's a truth that is found in Christ that spells freedom. But it's in him it's not in you. It's in him. Verse 22. This is verse 22 and 23 and 24. I'm just going to go ahead and read straight through. But I'm telling you, this entire series, every bit of this series, we're going to be spending the next few weeks on these three verses. They are so thick with meaning. We could spend a lifetime on these three verses and never mind the depths, plumb the depths of what God is trying to say to us in these verses. That's how profound. So put your thinking cap on. I'll read you the three verses and then we'll come back and talk about them. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Now, I want to point to you at something that's kind of obvious, because Paul, in the time that he wrote this, Paul is a, a writer of the New Testament that God inspired to put his words on the page so that you and I could be able to read them. Paul wrote this down almost 2,000 years ago, so this is a long time ago, and it's still true. Paul is speaking some truth into our lives right here, and it's one sentence, and here's what he says. And it's interesting because there's no, there's no word processor. So you can't like backspace or you can't cut and paste and put ideas in different ways. You just write it out. And so Paul, 
in verse 23, you can see that Paul interrupts a thought. And you can see it because if you just put verses 22 and 24 together, they're, they're, they're seamless. They're flawless. They, they flow right into each other. Let's read this, verse 22, going right into 24 without 23. Verse 22 says, That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him uh, in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And you were taught with, you were taught, Okay, let's go from, two, I'm going to just read it from my page. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. That's verses 22 and 24. Do you see how they work together, 22 and 24? They're one thought. Put off, put on. You want to know how to change, just in case you have to leave before the end, the, the end of the series? Listen, here's a, here it is. Put off, put up, re, be made new in the attitude of your mind, put off, put on. That's how you change. Taking into consideration what I just said before about it being gradual and inevitable. Be made new, put off, put on. Paul writes this in this letter, and he says this, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. By the way, all the change that you and I have ever tried to do is found in this one verse. We get one third of it right. We put off. We say, I'm not going to do that thing anymore. I'm not going to go. I'm not going to act out. I'm not going to use. I'm not going to. And we just say, and we say, we put off. We say, no more of that for me. No more of that. And it ends there. And if we just do that, it's a wonderful way to be caught in a cycle. It's a wonderful way to be caught in a cycle of failure. A, a death loop, if you will, that only harms us. You see, the fact is, is that God has to change something. And Paul interrupts his sentence he interrupts his sentence when he starts saying, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And then as if Paul says, oh, you need to know this first before I can even finish this thought. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Let's say that together. To be made new in the attitude of your minds. Now, a couple of things. This verse is where we're going to spend the rest of this talk. It's this one verse. It's a tiny verse. It is unbelievably powerful and will transform your life to be made new in the attitude of your minds. First, I want you to notice the first three words or four words. To be made new. Notice that the text does not say make yourself new. It's to be made new. Just like if I was to make you dinner. The dinner will be made by seven. Oh, okay, I'm not doing it. Someone else is doing it. To be made new, the reason is, is because change is the work of the Holy Spirit. Change is the work of God in your life 
transforming your affections and eventually transforming your actions. That's what change is about. You are to be made new. Now, I know that many of you don't even have a compartment in your mind. You don't have a compartment in your mind about how uh, God changes you on the inside to be made new. For some of you, listen, for some of you, you think, if it's got to be, it's up to me. You think that if change is going to happen in my life, I better do something. It's, listen to me. How has that been working for you? Like, it doesn't work, right? Like, I, I hate to have to be up here and point out the obvious, but it doesn't work. And all you have to do is live more than 15 years before you realize, I can't change me. I try, and I want to, with great determination. I have unbelievable willpower, and yet I can't change me. I can stop myself from trying to be violent against you, but I can't stop myself to change. In other words, I can't stop myself from hating you. I can stop myself from not, you know, oh, I'm not just going to act out and all that other stuff, but I can't stop myself from lusting. I can, I can act like I've changed because I can stop myself from smoking the cigarette, but I can't calm my own nerves. You see, to be made, this is so important. You are to be made new. This is why when we're in Christ, our hope is so high and our humility is so, is so strong and our pride is so low. Because when you're made new, there's no bragging, is there? So if you stop smoking crack and you became a president of a Fortune 500 company and everything you got, you go, oh my gosh, I was made new. So when you see somebody who's still in their mess and still acting out and still, and you go, oh, we both came in together at the same time, there's no arrogance that swells up inside you. Because you go, but I was made new. I had nothing. Listen, it was Jesus who did this work in my soul. He said, I was made new. So, so the first thing that happens is our humility grows. We go, oh my goodness. And if, and you know what? That's negative self-talk. You know, like, oh, you're so stupid. Oh, you did it again. Oh, you know, all that other stuff. That dies too. Because you get to say, I'm being made new. And Jesus knows how much he's drawing my heart to himself. Jesus, listen, I can't see how far I'm growing. Jesus knows. And I, and, I, and I just go to him and I just go, oh, God, change me. Change me from the change my affections. But it's to be made new. It's huge. Huge. He does the work. To be made new, and here's where you're made new, the attitude of your minds. Now, the interesting thing is, depending on what translation you read, this word, attitude right here, that they translated from the Greek into English into attitude, is one of the toughest words you can possibly translate. It's really difficult. The actual, uh, it actually says to be made new in the spirit of your mind. But that's confusing. Nobody knows. Well, what do you mean, the spirit of my mind? Then everybody goes, well, what does that mean? Is it the Holy Spirit? No, 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 it's not the Holy Spirit. And the reason we know it's not the Holy Spirit is because the Holy Spirit doesn't belong to your mind. The Holy Spirit belongs to God, and the Holy Spirit indwells, but he's, you get what I'm saying, right? I'm saying, so it's, so other people try to translate this word, affections, attitude, 
to be made new in the attitude, in the, to be made new in that place in your mind that you find what you're acting out on as a pleasure. Now, I'm going to tell you something that's absolutely revolutionary. It'll change your life if you really absorb it. This is, this is the reason why you came to, uh, uh, to gather with the believers to get today. Listen, do you know why you go back to the sin that you go back to? Do you know why? Do you know why you keep on making the same mistake over and over? Do you know why you find yourself going back to the same sins that hurt you before and you know they're not going to serve you well? Do, do you know why you do that? This is it. Now, you know, take, take a pen or pencil, a mascara, write this down. Here's, this is, is going to be here. All right. You know why? This is great. You ready? You ready? Get your paper out. You ready? Yeah, yeah. Because you want to. <laughs> Listen. You go, and I know you're here. You go, no, I don't want to anymore. I cry when I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know you cry when you do. I know that you're like, no, no, because it's you want to. Nobody does anything that they don't want to do. Yeah, but when I act out, I hate doing it. I can't. Then why are you going? Oh, I know. Because I want. attitude of your mind. Something has to change in your affections. Something has to change in how you view the sin that you do. Okay, so here's the principle. The principle is God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. Everybody say that with me. God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. We're going to have it on the screen now. Uh, God must change our actions. Oh. God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. Say it one more time. God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. Now, here's why affections are so powerful. Imagine you're 18 years old. You fell in love with the love of your life. I mean, oh my goodness. This is true love. This is the real deal. What happened? You fall in love, and it was like, you know, oh my gosh, the lilies in the field were, you know, were blooming. And, and I don't know if lilies bloom, but, um, the, the, you know, so it's just like, you know, the, the, the spring air and the sun and the moon and all that. Stuff, everything was aligned, and you fell in love, and it was like, oh my gosh, like West Side Story, right? You know, everything stops, and it's just you and Tony, and you're like, wow, this is great. And so you fall in love, and like, right, okay. So what happens? You fall in love, and then two weeks, two months, two years, 20 years, I don't know, breakup happens. And then what do you, do, what do you try to do? You tell yourself, forget him, and, you know, you listen to whatever is culturally appropriate for you to listen to, like, you know, and definitely a part of your, um, you know, the, the age demographic you are. So, like, if you're old, it's Barry White. If you're new, you know, it's Justin Bieber or somebody else who took his place, right? But you listen to love songs that make you cry. Oh, we knew each other. We loved each other. All that. Okay, great. Right, right, right. And then, if you're a girl, your girlfriends come to your house, or if you're a guy, your homeboys come to your house, and they say this, yo, that's it. 
You're just feeling sorry for yourself. This is terrible. They say, yo, we're going to go out. Really, where are we going to go? To a club. Because everybody knows that if you want to find a person of character, you go to the club. And so you go to the club. We're going to go to the club. For what? We're going to find you somebody new. And you go, all right, great. And, you know, you work on your two-step, right? Yeah, I'm a, you know, all right, I could do this for like 15 hours, right? All right, cool. And then what happens? You find, you don't find Mr. or Mrs. Wright, but you find Mr. or Mrs. Wright now, right? And so, and so what happens? You're with them, and your affections grow, and now you're dating them. What happens to your affections for this guy? Oh, they're like non-existent. They don't, in fact, when you're walking down the street, if you see them in a restaurant, you like want to hug the person that you're with. You want to embrace. Why? Because your affections were changed. You were changed in the attitude of your mind. Now, if while you were in that place listening to the music and all depressed and all sad because they broke up with you and all that stuff, if you were in that place and I said, Come on, man. Change the attitude of your mind. Come on, change the attitude of your mind. You, it, would be like, it, it would be like me asking you to, to jump over the Grand Canyon. You just can't do it. What God is saying here is the 18-year-old dating wisdom that's been true for 2,000 years. In order for my heart to get off my sin, I have to find something more lovely to give my heart This is big. Follow along. This is big. In Christianity, that thing, that person is Jesus. Now watch this. For some of you that are here, that just didn't hit anything. That was like, yeah, all right. All right. Jesus. I guess you were going to say that. You're the pastor. You have to say Jesus. No, 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 but really. Jesus does more than save you from hell and death. He saves you. Listen, he saves you from your low self-esteem. He saves you from your sinfulness. He saves you from the temptation that you think you have to act out on or else you won't be fulfilled. Jesus saves you. But not only does he save you, he fulfills you on the inside. Why is it that you have some Christians, right? You have some Christians that they're so sad, like they wanted to be married, they wanted to be, you know, have a family. They wanted to have a relationship. Why is it that you have some Christians that are like the most joyful single people, even though they didn't get their dreams of marriage and family? Why is it? Because they found in Jesus all the things that they were longing for. You see, because they found in Jesus all the things that they were longing for. Why is this person a Christian? and wants to nearly commit suicide. And I'm not, I'm not even exaggerating that much. It's close to committing suicide because now they're 43. Their opportunity to have a family has dwindled. They haven't found the right person. Why? Because person number one found their identity and joy and beauty and worth in Christ. And so when the devil came in and said, oh, you're not a real woman, Oh, you're not, you know, you're not really fulfilled. I'm fulfilled in Christ. My beauty is found not in what that man says about me, but what Jesus has done for me. My beauty and radiance lies in Christ. While this person is close to suicide because they haven't, and they could be a Christian, 
but they haven't appropriated the gospel to their hearts. They haven't been changed in the attitude of their mind. You see, the person who lives in this place is still living for their old gods. They're still living for their old gods that will give them identity, beauty, satisfaction, fulfillment, peace, joy, satisfaction. That's why. That's why. Jesus is not only the solution. Jesus is the joy. But our affections for him have to grow. Now, okay, so let's talk practically now. If the attitude of our mind is what needs to change first. Now, remember what we learned today. What we're learning today is that God must change the affections, our affections, before he can permanently change our actions. Say that with me. God must change our affections before he can permanently change our actions. If that's true, then we have to spend more time with Jesus in order for our affections to grow. Right? Because here's what happened, right? I thought I loved my wife when I first met her, right? It's not, I don't, I didn't love my wife in comparison to the way I love my wife now. It's much more mature. It's a lot less emotional. It is much more um, determined. Uh, you know it's real love when sometimes you don't feel it, but you're determined because the love doesn't uh, find its base on the emotions. It finds its base in the gospel. Now watch. I love my wife far more now than I did then. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I spent more time with her. It's been decades now. We know each other, and it's not, there's no longer this, like, you know, fake hope that in the future, oh, you know, she'll fix me with this issue, or she'll help me with it. No, 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 This is really the way you look. This is really the way I look. This is really the way you behave. This is really, our love is not found based on our hopes in each other to fulfill some desire within ourselves. Our hopes are found in Christ and overflows on one another. We have to spend time with Christ. Our attitudes will never change. We'll never see Jesus as beautiful if we don't, if we don't take the time to look at him, to spend with him. So how do you do that? Well, in your bulletin, what you're going to find is a bunch of scriptures that remind you the truth of the gospel. In your bulletin, if you look through it, you'll find a paper that has dozens and dozens of scriptures. I'm going to look at just three of them right now and share with you how this works. But what has to happen, guys, is that not only do we have to spend this time with the Lord, but what we want to do as well, guys, is we have to um, preach the gospel to ourselves. One, one of the mistakes that we do in life is we talk to ourselves. Anybody here talk to themselves? Yeah, yeah, everybody does. Right, yeah, it's everybody does, yeah. We all talk to ourselves. Self-talk is universal. It's the, you know, self-talk is universal. Did you know that over 90% of self-talk is negative talk? Think about that. If 90% of the things that you said to your best friend 90% of the things that you said to your best friend was negative. How long would you have your best friend? 
Not long. Watch. So I don't want you to talk to yourself. You harm yourself when you talk to yourself. You know what I want you to do? I want you to preach to yourself. I want you to preach the truth of the gospel. Let me tell you what that looks like. And I'm going to show you how it looks like with scriptures and resting in him. But I want you to, right? So I, let's say for instance, I'm walking and I really, not walking, but I'm living life and I really want this uh, new job or this raise or uh, this promotion at work. And something inside of me says, you'll never get it. You're just a loser. You go, wait. First of all, my identity is not found on whether or not I get this job. My happiness, the basis of my happiness is not found on whether I get the job or not. The basis of my happiness is found in Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's made the attitude of my mind change. He's changed the attitude of my mind. Christ is my identity. If I get the job, I'm not a winner, and I'm not a loser. I'm glad I got it, and I'm grateful that I went in that direction, but my, my identity, my beauty, my worth is not found in that work. It's found in my Savior. Say, for instance, I go, there's that girl or that guy um, that I've been really wanting to date or really wanting to connect with, and they're like everything I've ever dreamed of, right? They, they're attractive, they're kind, they're everything, right? And then I go to them and I say, hey, can we uh, connect? Can we go out for coffee or something like that? And they go, look, no, I don't really think of you in that way, right? I'm disappointed, but I'm not like, oh, you're just ugly and nasty and, you know, all that negative self-talk. You're just a piece of garbage. You're just a, you know, you know what I do? I go, wait, wait. I already have someone who loves me through and through. I already have someone who's wanted to have coffee with me all day and for a lot longer than all day, who's wanted to spend quiet time with me, with just me and him, intimacy between us. And that's my Christ. So that was disappointing, but my fulfillment and joy is found in Christ, not in whether or not they like me. Say, for instance, my my worth is found in my ability to speak or in some other achievement. I could go, wait, 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 wait. It's not by my words that I'm saved. Let's say, for instance, if it's my ability to speak. And boy, pastors go through this all the time. It's not by my words that I'm saved. It's by your words that I'm saved. And my, my life is found in Christ, in the truth of your gospel. Thank you. Jesus. You see, our affections grow. So when you do that, what happens? Throughout the week, you get a temptation, and it's to drink that beer. What happens? You go, no, I can leave that beer down because I'm not going to get drunk on alcohol. I'd rather get drunk in the Spirit, walking in Christ, being filled and compelled by Jesus. I want to be overjoyed, filled with, in Christ. Or um, I'm going to go see that awful image on the computer or on the cable. And I go, you know what? I'm going to put the remote control down because my beauty is not found in fantasy. It's found in the Father's love for me. And that fulfillment comes from him. I can be satisfied in him. Or, or I go out 
to buy those clothes that I can't afford because I'm trying to impress people who are not looking. And so what I do is I just go, I put it down and I say, no, my beauty is not outwardly adorned, but my beauty is found on the, uh, my beauty, my beauty is found and based on the death of Christ who himself was marred and made ugly so that I could be made beautiful to the Father. See, listen. You're going to argue, and you got to prove your point, and you got to fight because you got to, and you can go, no, I'm going to put it down. I'm going to put it down. Why? Because my objective is not so much for them to understand me, but for me to love them well like I have been loved in Christ. And so they're talking bad about me or they're saying something fresh about me and then I can pause and go, wait, Jesus, have I ever said untrue, nasty things about you? And he goes, yeah. And then I go, wait, how did you respond to me when I said those untrue, nasty things about you? Oh, wait, you died on the cross for me. You extended, you took the blow, you took, and you, ex- and you replaced it with love. Amen. Lord, Watch this. The affections, the attitudes of our minds are changed, not by you, but by the Holy Spirit of God as he transforms. And it's, listen to me, it's gradual. You don't see it. You don't see that it's happening. But you know what happens? You keep on, you keep on bringing the church into this room. You keep on spending time with Christ in prayer. You keep on reading God's word. Like, let's say, for instance, you struggle with shame. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Anyone who belongs to Christ is a new person. The past is forgotten, and everything is new. Oh, man, you know what, Satan? You want to define me by my past, but I am defined not by my past, but by Christ's sacrifice. Or maybe you struggle with fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, God's spirit doesn't make cowards out of us. The Spirit gives us power, love, and self-control. I don't have to be afraid. I can walk in the Spirit. So you preach to yourself, right? You take that verse and you preach it to yourself. You go, I'm not going to walk in fear. The worst thing that these people can do to me is kill me, and that will bring me face to face with Jesus, and I'll be in glory forever. There's nothing that anybody can do to me that can possibly harm me because I'm walking in Christ. You preach it to yourself. Or perhaps you're struggling with temptation in 1 Corinthians 6.20. God paid a great price for you, so use your body to honor God. So you're faced with the temptation, going to the massage parlor, uh, clicking on the website, turning on that cable channel, and the temptation is there, or perhaps with another person, and the temptation, or to to eat, or to overspend, or whatever your temptation is. You go, no, I'm going to walk in the newness of Christ, because my body, my body is new in Christ. I'm not going to use my body to dishonor myself. I'm not going to use my body to dishonor Christ. I'm going to use my body for what it was given for, for his glory and my joy. That's why I'm, listen to me, preach the gospel to yourself. Why? Why? Why do all this? Why spend time in God's word? Why pray? Why come and congregate and and bring the church into this room so that you could hear God's word? Why do you do that? Why? Because God must change our affections. If change is going to happen at all, 
God must change our affections before He can permanently change our actions. So this week, here's what I want you to do. Don't change. Go ahead, do the same thing you've always done. Go ahead and act out in ways that you've always acted out on. But I want you to go to Jesus and I want you to say this. Jesus, here's the truth about me. I find my Savior at the bottom of that bottle or on top of that bed or at the click of that mouse. My Saviors are found there. And I don't want that anymore. Would you change the attitude of my... Would you be the guy at the club? Would you change me? Change my affections. Let me see you as a greater delight than these other things that only leave unsatisfied. Ask God to change your affections. And so when you go back to do the thing that you said you never wanted to do again and you go back to do it, you go, Jesus... I can't find my righteousness in myself. Look at me. Change my affections. This never worked, but I'm now just discovering it doesn't work. Change my affections. Change my affections so that I want you more than I want it, that, them. Pray that throughout this week. Walk to him. Ask him to change your heart. Let's pray. Lord, for so many of us, this hits us in such different ways. Lord, I pray right now, Lord, for the bulimic who listens to this message and wishes that we could have a four-step plan to stop her bulimia. Lord, I think for the pornography addict who wishes that I would have just given him some suggestions on how to stop the computer madness. Lord, I, I pray for the overeater who's just angry because they feel like they're going to overeat today as well. I pray for the cutter who's going to go home cut themselves again. Lord, would you would you speak to the spirit of our minds? To the affections of our minds? Would you talk to our desires? And help us to see you as far more beautiful and satisfying than all of these other things. Lord Jesus, I know some of us are struggling in really mighty ways. Would you help us, oh God, to find our joy, our righteousness, our satisfaction, not in our behaviors, but in our Christ who died for us. Help us to know what that means. Dig that truth deep into our hearts that our righteousness is not found in our behaviors, but found in our Christ. Change us for that. 
Change our hearts for that, Lord. Help us to walk in the truth of your word, being made new by the power of your spirit and the attitude of our minds. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.